Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. We're Knee Deep in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 153, recorded on the 1st of June, 2021. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on kneedeepintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. We are not going to be talking that much about build news. Uh, we hope to release a separate interview with our favorite developers in the coming weeks, but we would like to congratulate the new MVPs, and especially in my case, Heni Ilmarinen, who got the MVP award in the data platform category, and David Stavegård, who got the same award in the office and apps category. You had one or two as well, Simon. Yes, uh, Cathy Nicholson, who got awarded in enterprise mobility. So big congratulations to all of you. And uh, it, it feels very good to help someone get into the MVP community. For, for me, Cathy were the second that I've nominated that now got the award. So that it feels very good to to give on the, the experience it really is to be an MVP. I totally agree. And what's funny is that I, I've only nominated two people and both of them <laughs> got the MVP at the same time. So I am so excited to see what they can do inside of the community, uh, mm -hmm. considering what they've managed to do outside of the community. Yeah. So what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about data classification. This fantastic, really exciting thing. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Simon has a, has a nice twist on it. We're going to talk a bit about the Power BI um, updates from Build, just a small one. There is a next generation of Windows on the horizon. There have been a, some changes to the continuous access evaluation. And what's new in Intune, as always. But Simon, <laughs> let's see what you can do with data classification. Take it away. Thank you very much. And and I needed to find something more boring than what you usually talk about. So data well, classification. It does take skill. So very well done. Thank you. But we we started a discussion on data protection and, and compliance in episode 149, if I'm not mistaken. So this is really the the continuation of that because before you can protect data, as we said back then, you need to know what kind of data you have. And also, how it matters to you, how it matters to your organization, and how it even matters to your country. So we will be talking about data classification, but it's also very important to think about data, or really, what is data? So we'll go to talk about files, systems, identities, and, and also what differentiates data from information, because that matters as well as I'm sure you agree on. I do, and I'm, I'm really excited to see where, where you're going to go with this one, because this, <laughs> no, seriously, this this is an, an area that I find is woefully under-discussed. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we're going to take this on from a few different angles. We will, of course, talk about the technology and, and the tooling that Microsoft provides us with. But we'll also talk about data classification as such and the challenges of that and why it can be so hard for an organization to, to do that. Because starting from the beginning, 
I'm working with a couple of different projects in terms of protecting data or classifying data currently. And you can then ask, why are organizations doing that now? Weren't they supposed to be done when GDPR <laughs> got, got into action, which is now three years ago? It actually celebrated its third um, birthday on the 25th of May, if I'm not mistaken. But true, the truth is that it's it's hard. It's very time-consuming. And a lot of organizations also makes it more complicated than it really has to be. And there are also very few legal experts that are also able to support an organization when it comes to implementing the actual technical classification of data. Things were probably easier uh, back in the days when we had papers, but it was dead hard to find <laughs> information back then. So there are good good and bad things about having digital data that needs to be classified. But if, if we start by classification, what are we really talking about? We are talking about the value of the information that the data contains or the file contains. And I think it's quite interesting to, to look at the different kinds of labels or the different kind of classifications that we can have. And we will get into something a bit more down to earth soon. And you're going to be talking some, about the relative value of the word value in this case as well. Absolutely. So if we first take a look at the extreme case where we have NATO classifications. Cosmic top secret, my favorite. <laughs> Yeah, my favorite too. But in reality, very, very, very few things are probably um, classified as cosmic top secret. That you know of. <laughs> that I know. <laughs> I'm, let, let's just say that I'm, I should never, ever get even remotely close to something that's cosmic top secret. You heard it here first. Simon is not <laughs> approvable for cosmic top secret. I'm not cosmic classified. No, you're not. There we have the name of this episode, Cosmic, <laughs> Cosmically Classified. But, but I must say that I have my new tagline today. I discovered my new tagline today. So I will actually probably tattoo that in, in the back of my neck. From now on, I will be known as the person you should use, abuse, and reuse. <laughs> you know, I can do a whole episode on that. <laughs> Moving on. Using, abusing, or reusing me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So the other classifications that NATO have, so Cosmic Top Secret, is the highest classification any kind of data can have within the NATO sphere. It's followed, and the, the relative value of this decreases now. So you have NATO Secret, NATO Confidential, and NATO Restricted. Um, you also have, and, and you usually talk about the sensitivity of documents because that's what you need to protect. That's what can have an impact that is like substantial. And then you have different degrees on that. And we'll talk about that from a, a Swedish point of view soon. But you also um, have what's in, in the NATO case is NATO unclassified. And you also have NATO property. And that goes back to internal in many cases. So NATO property, 
must not be made public without NATO permissions. That's what many organizations would classify as general or internal data. And then NATO um, unclassified, which is very, very few documents that are public. But other organizations may have a much higher amount of actual public information. And that's also where Sweden is a rather challenging country since all of our public information or most of our public information is actually public really but it does our, most of our public information is public <laughs> okay yeah but but I, I i think you must agree that from a international perspective it's i don't know if any other country works as sweden does that you can actually go up to any governmental agency and say i want to get all correspondence to this person yeah well we we, we do have the freedom of information act in the u.s which mm -hmm. works similarly but think of think of it like this apply the freedom of information act to everything and then you have the swedish way of being open and and yes i would definitely agree sweden is a rare bird in in that sense yeah so just to make this a little simpler and a little more down to earth I'm going to, to take Sweden as an example for how we usually classify information. And, and sorry now for not translating this properly. Uh, but it will be to realize the value of the data and how a classified document that are subject for our na national security or the National Security Protection Act I think that's the correct way of saying it. Um, and how you should value information. So we have um, limited secret, confidential, uh, secret, and classified secret. What would you say that something that's classified as limited secret would mean if that were to be published? Well... I would probably say that it, it may impact in a small way, um, not mm -hmm. necessarily on a national level at all, because then it would be classified higher, but it could it could probably impact uh, a person or a company. Or No, we're talking about the state, right? This actually applies, since this is the Protective Security Act, which is the correct way of saying it, ah. this applies to both public and private sector, as long as they are subject to that same act. Yeah, so a, a small impact, not a neg negligible uh, impact, but a small one. Exactly. So a lesser impact um, with limited... Consequence. With, with limited consequence and, and, and the, a less ability to disrupt the national ability. And that's where things get complicated because one of the most common things I see when it comes to data classification is that people tend to be overly protective of data. So if you classify something as begränsat hemlig, which is the Swedish translation of it, it should actually have an impact on a national level. And that means the moment you classify it as begränsat hemlig, you can't put it anywhere outside of Sweden. 
No, that, that's where you have the American version. It's called uh, no foreign, no yeah. foreign national. Exactly. And and in practice, very few people should even have access to that. Very few people should even be able to classify something as that. And then you have the three levels on top. So if you go to classified secret or qualified secret, that's something that would have a serious impact on the national ability to function. I can give you an example, actually. And th this is a pretty mm -hmm. interesting situation. Back in, I think it was the early 90s, the Swedish Air Force intelligence um, operation, if you will, the, the intelligence headquarters for the Swedish Air Force was based out of Norrköping, the, the city next to ours. They moved everything from Norrköping to Uppsala. And they had multiple, um, basically, containers with uh, stuff. And one of the containers contained only limited secrets. Mm -hmm. But the combination, the, the sheer amount of information turned it into a classified secret, which made it yep. a complete mess to move. I mean, it was yeah. one container with information, but it was multiple vehicles and helicopters and God knows what. Probably the, the, the half of the all the, the firearms in, in the country was driving with that truck so all four yeah. of them perhaps <laughs> yeah but uh, but i think that also goes back to that you need to take that into account as well when you collect a vast amount of lesser sensitive data it quickly turns very sensitive because if you know the location of one depot of ammunition that's not a complete mess but if you know every single location that's a serious impact. So what can we learn from this? Well, first and foremost, things that are considered confidential, and I think this goes for all countries, really needs to be confidential. You Or secret should at least be very secret. Confidential is something you as an organization can claim that your internal information is, that it can be... You can use the same kind of classification, but especially in private sector, you can apply that to your company. So if a document, as an example, would have a serious impact on the organization, if that were to be published, it would likely be fallen under classified as or classified as secret. So ensure to focus mostly on what's not confidential, what's not secret, and be very clear on that. And also remember that just because you have the permission to read classified information doesn't give you right to read all information that are classified. So that's where we need, in many cases, when we come back to Microsoft Information Protection, sublabels. So this is confidential and should only be read by HR. This is confidential, but should only be read by the Unicorn Project. I have now finished it and I hate Sarah even more. As you should. As I should. As everyone should. Speaking of which, I'm going to be talking to Sarah tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Not that Sarah, nope. I assume. In most cases, we have three to five different levels, and we then have sub-labels below that. And it's also important to remember that we should classify all information 
and all systems. Because a system, a server, a client, a database can in itself also have a value from a data point of view. And it's also that if you only have data, if you only have numbers, that may be of lesser value than if you understand the numbers and make it into information. And that's also very important to remember. That's why we are having discussions in terms of, let's say, productivity score or um, whatever it can be. Productivity score is likely a good measure. If you don't know who spends no time at all in meetings during a day, it's data. You know that a person spends no time in meetings. But if you combine that with the name of the person, that is now something that HR is likely to to treat as confidential. So data in context turns into information. Mm -hmm. Yep. Wonder who said that. I'm sure you know. A a lot of wise people. Probably. Not me. (laughs) So... When we have our classification in place, we need to then decide should it be automatically assigned or manually assigned. And that's a never-ending story because it's as dangerous or can it even be more dangerous to automatically assign based on the content of a certain piece of data. It can help to inform the user that you have just written a social security number here. It's likely, therefore, that you should classify this document as confidential. But if you classify something as confidential and it's a false positive, it's not a social security number. It just, it's a meatball recipe with a very odd number in it. Then it's not confidential. But in many cases, you are not allowed to lower a classification without someone else acknowledging that, okay, you have now removed the sensitive information within it. That brings me to a question that I've been thinking Mm -hmm. about for a bit. So if you're not allowed to... uh, decrease the sensitivity as you said remove the classification Mm -hmm. label should you err on the side of higher confidentiality or lower confidentiality if you are basically on the fence for a specific document if you will i think that's a good question probably without a straight answer but it's an interesting idea yeah and and i would say that and the legal experts listening to this will probably scream now. But please, please reach out to us if you have an opinion on this. I would likely tend to go for the lower one initially because it's still a document I'm working on, which matters in the Swedish context at least, and then ask someone. I've written this document. I've now classified it as this. Should I classify it higher? Because it is easier to classify it higher than it is to go the other way yeah. around. Yes. All right. Makes I, sense. I would I would say so. Yeah. So I think we will revisit the the context of classified information and how you can then combine classifications with data loss prevention and other measures. But it's also essential from a cybersecurity point of view. If you have a confidential system it's likely that it should be very isolated from anything that isn't confidential so that you know that only a limited amount of people have access to it. But that's for another episode. But to summarize this, five things to think about when you start classifying data. 
First, you need to know your organization. What data do you have? Uh, and what regulations do you adhere under? Depending on your industry, public, private sector, so you know what you need to protect and to what level. Don't classify more confidential. Uh, don't classify it more confidential than you are certain that it should be or that it need to be. Make it simple. Start with new data. Learn the process, and you can always go back in time and and reprocess existing data at some point. Create a pilot. Like I said, many organizations likely have confidential data, data that's, that's sensitive for the organization, but not for a country. And create a pilot project. Learn how it works. Learn how the different policies and, and classifications work. And, and start small with a value-adding project from day one. And do remember that the best kind of data classification that happens or the best kind of data classification is the classification that happens. And manual is better than wrongly in an automatic fashion. Any questions? Oh, um, a lot of questions. Uh, but I think those will also come in another episode as we start to... <laughs> no, as, as we start to look at the actual implementation of this because it is it's easy to sit here and say don't classify mm -hmm. higher than you need it's easy mm -hmm. to say that automatic classification is good and it might actually work but how do you do it and i think this mm -hmm. is where uh in information protection comes in you've been uh, toying a lot with that i have been just dipping my toes in it because it does start to flow downhill as well mm -hmm. to to my things and it also is, is starting to become ubiquitous inside of the entire Microsoft ecosystem in a way that we yep. have not seen before. And I really, really like the unified nature of mm -hmm. dun, 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 unified labeling. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to the next uh, discussion. And I will be adding uh, on my own to this discussion as well. Nice. We can now be knee-deep in compliance. I highly doubt that, um, <laughs> actually, for, for a multitude of reasons but i'm, I'm not going to shatter your your uh, um, lovely tuesday evening by saying that yeah. you're completely off and 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 we we can't even be compliant with ourselves since we said that we shouldn't talk about build and now everything we have on the agenda is from build apart from the news from intune so i have the only actually compliant news item of the day so i'm, I'm gonna twist that just a slight bit because we're not going to talk about the developer aspects of build fixed it for you yeah well done so power bi it's it's an interesting tool to work with i'm i've said it before i'll say it again that if, if you turn your back on something in 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 the microsoft ecosystem and then you go on vacation it's going to change so we need to remember that power bi is five and a half years old it did not exist in its current form. It did not exist, period, five and a half years ago. And it has come so far since then. We had some exceptional things shown at the MBAS, the Microsoft Business and Application Summit. And I was sure that after Ignite and MBAS, the chest was empty. As, as in, I was entirely sure. And I was wrong 
It's like TV shop. Well, in a way, in a way yeah. There's they, more. They actually saved the best for last, in my view. So, nice. do you know what GPT-3 is? Sounds like a car I would like to buy. Well, that would be something. No, GPT-3 <laughs> is a natural language algorithm, or basically a natural ah. language AI. Mm -hmm. And it has been worked on for quite some time, and I think the it's... I saw a number that said 175 billion um, parameters that's been used to train it. It's, it's a neural network. The thing is, GPT-3 is very good at understanding what you're saying, basically. Someone at Microsoft had the bright idea to combine GPT-3 and DAX. So what is coming, there is no ETA on it that I've been able to find. What is coming is you can talk or basically write a statement in English and it is going to turn that into workable DAX. So even I can use Power BI. That was exactly what I said. <laughs> even I can write usable DAX. Because one of the, the interesting phenomenon with Power BI, it, if you look at it as a triangle mm -hmm. or a pyramid or whatever you want to call it. So the... The visual part is not all the way up to the top. The report top part is, is just underneath the top. So the top is visuals and, and creating the visual story. But most people think that the, the report stuff, that is Power BI. In my view, since I do everything that's underneath, I think that is just the tip of the iceberg. But people look at And you and go, are the iceberg. Well, yeah, I'm pretty much, I'm the iceberg. That's an interesting story in and of itself. So people look at me and go, well, dude, you, you work with Power BI. You should be able to do a, a report. And yes, I can do a report, but I'm terribly bad at DAX. Like, that's what I have my colleagues for, because they know DAX. <laughs> I suck at DAX. So, yeah, having this kind of support will make it so much easier to produce stuff. And we know... We both know that this is not aimed at me. This is aimed at normal people. And just imagine this enormous productivity boost that this will bring. So I'm really, really excited. And isn't that pyramid in, in a way also a, a hourglass? Because if you look at the amount of people that work with the iceberg, it's, it's a relatively low number of people. But the number of people that will be creating, using, getting value from the visuals is the majority of people. So the simpler, the, like this enables more people to benefit from the hard work that you have done below the surface. For sure. And, and that's what I, I keep coming back to with Power BI. You can use duct tape and, and string to force a crappy data model to give you reasonable results and make it look pretty but the better you make your model underneath just like we were talking about the, the episode before last the better you make the model underneath the easier power bi will have and the more automatic uh, things will work for you and what's also most important when it comes to data modeling it means that your edge cases will work automatically Mm -hmm. You don't need to patch and, and think ahead and compensate for bad decisions. So that's why I, I'm I'm a stickler for a good data model. So so would you say that GP3, GPT-3 is the equivalent of DAX tape? 
I hate you, Simon Bailey. <laughs> Moving on. We also get automatic aggregations. So aggregations is the key to really working with huge sets of data. Um, back in, in a couple of years back, I did the um, trillion row demo when um, aggregations was a new thing. And I literally worked with a trillion rows of, of data on stage at, in, in Stockholm. My I channeled my inner Christian weight. Now they're doing the same thing again, but automatically. I no longer need to specify how do I aggregate this data. It will do so automatically. I'm not entirely sure how it works underneath the surface because I haven't yet been able to touch it and, and poke it, but there will be a public preview of this in July. What's also going to come in July is streaming data flows, one of the absolutely missing pieces of Power BI. We've touched on it in a previous episode because this was actually announced at um, uh, Ignite, I think, or it was Embass, I can't remember. But it is a, a streaming data set as you would presume it is. So you can have continuously streaming data going through a Power Query um, like language, if you will. And at the end of the day, it's going to pop out as a data set or a data flow that you can attach to and do your reports on. So this, this is one aspect that Power BI has been lacking. That is now sorted. Again, it's going to come out uh, on, on, as a preview in July. But, but it's absolutely beautiful. And I think this is what we all envision when it comes to big data. And I think... This is what it all goes back to. If you can make decisions on real-time data as it comes in, just imagine what that could mean for a lot of people. Sure. It's it's a great um, technology and it, it's a great capability. But there is a backside of it, and that's the same as in medicine. The more diagnostic equipment you get, mm -hmm. the more things you're going to find. But there is a difference between dying from something and dying with something. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing here. Just because you can do real-time analysis and real-time reporting doesn't mean that you necessarily should because you might not gain anything. In, in fact, you might actually lose something. But that's, mm -hmm. that's a, a whole different discussion and probably the one that will turn up in a future uh, focus segment. <laughs> There's also something called the Jupyter Notebooks. And anybody who's ever done data science knows what a Jupyter Notebook is. It's basically a file with cells. In every cell, you can add code or you can write some text and you can run the code in that cell. The, the whole thing is self-contained. So it's, it's only when you press play on tape, basically, it goes to the backend kernel and runs whatever code it is. Now you can put Power BI inside of a Jupyter Notebook, which means that you can have a story basically you can tell a story and you can move between the cells and you can run your report and you can show the data as you progress through the story so Jupyter notebooks are awesome for troubleshooting for explaining for documenting and all that kind of stuff again because they're self-contained it's really really mm -hmm. cool stuff and finally it's also used within it's also used within sentinel yeah yeah so it's it, i think this is a real it's it's been around for a while but i think it's a, a, a technology for the future absolutely oh yeah yeah um it, it's one of these technologies that is just starting to find its feet outside of the design specifications if you will 
because uh -huh. in Azure Data Studio, which is going to be the successor to uh, SQL Server Management Studio, or not necessarily a successor, but a, a companion tool, it is based off um, Jupyter Notebooks. Uh -huh. And finally, the thing I'll, I'll mention is deployment pipeline APIs. We have the deployment pipeline in Power BI, which is one of the most difficult things to implement in Power BI due to the fact that the files are binary. But we are going to get APIs that mean that you can connect uh, Azure DevOps, GitHub, all that kind of really, really juicy stuff to do proper um, versioning and, and proper uh, deployment pipeline stuff um, development inside of Power BI. Very, very requested. And I can't, I, I can't imagine a world without it when we see it. So I'm, I'm excited. Cool. And it's, I'm not surprised anymore, but it, it's so interesting to see how much I've evolved by learning from the announcements that you talk about in the podcast as well. So I'm super excited about this as well. And I'm, I'm just terribly sorry that I haven't had time to go through and, and apply all of this knowledge to my data of beer, my beer data. No, but it's, it's going to get there. And the more I think of it, the more I am thinking we should do a we should do a complete pre-con on your beer data because I have a lot of oh. ideas. And, and I think, oh, now, now I'm excited because I would be a user in that case. Yes. I have all of this data. Please help me. Yep. Let's do a pre-con. Let's. A classified pre-con. Cosmically classified pre-con? <laughs> Cosmos DB, perhaps? Leave Cosmos out of this and move to Windows, please. Please. So, uh, I, I will be completely honest. I haven't seen the keynote from Build yet. I uh, was busy doing something else. I can't remember what I did, but I was doing something, and I will get back to that at some point. But one of the things that were mentioned is that Satya teased the world that a new Windows is coming, which is quite interesting since they said that Windows 10 were supposed to be the last Windows. Uh, but... We are expecting a Windows which drops the version. So basically, this is Windows. It's not the new Windows, it's it's Windows. And Windows for the future will not just be the operating system, it will be the experience, the platform Windows, which includes a new store, according to The Verge. So what we will see is a Windows that adapts to the hardware, that's more modern, more modulized and that supports the uh, form factors of the next generation hardware which is in many cases likely two or multiple screens more mobile um, and so on so what microsoft is doing now is taking the best out of windows 10 x combining that with the best of windows 10 today creating a new store and likely adding a bunch of other great improvements and as well as the mo modularization of Windows to support a, a higher amount of small and large devices. And that will be announced in the coming weeks, according to The Verge. Uh, Microsoft said very soon in, in some kind of preview or at some kind of event. And we will see what, what happens when that's announced. But I'm very excited, first and foremost, to see that they are dropping the version, something I 
claim that they should have done even when they released Windows 10. It should have been Windows only and be done with it. But there, there isn't really that much more we know about it. But uh, Satya was very excited and he's been testing it for quite a while. So I assume that they are at a very good point. The other interesting bit of this is also the new store, where uh, according again to The Verge, um, anyone would be able to post anything. So even like competing browsers, it doesn't have to be modern apps. And they even say that you could even allow a third-party commerce platform in-apps, so in-app purchases, which would not do the same thing as Apple is doing and still take a percentage of that, but allowing a developer to publish an app, do in-app purchases for the user, and all of that money would go back to the developer, which which in, in my world is fair. So that's really fun and something from Build. The other thing, and I think this is really great to follow up on from our interview with Christos a couple of weeks ago is that continuous access evaluation is now in public preview uh, and that's and using the graph API so it's not in the Azure portal yet uh, but you can use this in public preview using graph and um, it focuses on exchange teams and SharePoint and I think the the scenarios that they envision really explains what this does because think of it this way. If you were, for whatever reason, get fired and your account in AD or Azure AD got disabled, when would you be kicked out from Outlook, from Teams? When your token expires. Exactly. And for Web, the default is 90 days. So you can be signing quite a long time even with your account being disabled. So this is what continuous access evaluation will be taking care of. That if your user account is disabled or deleted, you will be signed out and kicked out from any app instantly. I'm pretty if sure that need, this yeah. is what was the issue for Klarna Bank. <laughs> I think it was token expiry and, and someone messing that up and caching the tokens. Yeah, yeah. that can definitely happen. Uh, and all of this would also be applicable to enforcing MFA, changing passwords, increasing user risk score, and that makes it super powerful because that means that we could evaluate the user's behavior even after authentication. And if even if the authentication in itself looks legit, the things that happens after that can be malicious and we can then throw that individual out as needed. So I think this is really, really cool and something I can't wait to play around with because this will be, from a security point of view, a complete game changer. So I understand why Christos were so excited about it. For sure. And lastly, I think we, whenever we say lastly, it doesn't mean that other things haven't happened. Uh, but last in our show notes is the news from Intune. And this release... Uh, service release 2105 focuses a lot on on settings or reporting and monitoring so new capabilities to see per setting status report within a settings catalog so basically instead of seeing that yeah this set of policy applied correctly or 
did not apply correctly, you can now see 99 out of 100 settings applied correctly, but not this one. We also have multiple new reporting and monitoring for app installations uh, based on device and based on user. And um, we can also export Intune reports using Graph API or the first version of the Graph API or the beta. And finally, what I'm mostly excited about in this release is that we now have support for Windows 10 Enterprise multi-session. So the ability to apply Intune settings to multiple users on the same device. So this is the next step towards allowing a fully Intune managed WVD implementation, which is something I envisioned over three years ago. I was not alone in envisioning that, by the way, but I, that was what I was looking forward to when that was released. So that will be really, really cool. It will be slightly limited from the start, um, but you can now, in public preview, support multi-session with Microsoft Intune. Interesting. I need to read up on that because I, I think, as you say, it'll, it'll be something for, for the future for sure. Absolutely. It, it provides smaller organizations the ability to manage their Windows virtual desktop environments just as they are managing their physical devices, if they so desire. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so uh, I'm going to be speaking at Data Minutes on the 11th of June. And mm -hmm. that's going to be an interesting one because Data Minutes is entirely based off of 10 minute sessions that, that's it it's a 10 minute session you go on stage you do your thing and get off the stage no recording no nothing it's just going to be 10 minutes of awesome content and I'll, I'll be i'll be completely glued to my computer that day because the the uh, the other speakers are just phenomenal and i am mm -hmm. I, I will be talking about uh, why i hate averages as I say in my, my um, abstract, um, I will be raking averages over the coal, bring marshmallows. So that'll be fun. Yeah. I actually just remember that I actually have a session or a, a an event next week. Because uh, uh, I think it's the same Sarah that you will be speaking to, our Scottish friend Sarah. Sarah Lean, hi. Yes. Uh, invited me to a live stream together with some friends on june the 9th where we'll talk about personal versus company brand and how they impact one another and how how it affects one or the other i might just have to watch that because that's that that's one thing where we are not in agreement you and i you're about a billion times better than i am on on personal branding we we are in agreement. I'm just better than you. <laughs> right. Meh. You want to hear something interesting, by the way? This upcoming Data Minutes, that is the last speaking engagement that I have on the docket for this year. I have a lot of, of um, call for contents out, but I haven't heard mm -hmm. anything from them. So this is it as it looks in, in my, my calendar. And that, that's a strange feeling. I haven't had that for years. But that's, um, I actually have an upcoming one after summer, which I'm not certain that I'm allowed to disclose yet. 
So we'll see. But I also have a few call for contents out and um, some others to submit to. Yeah. Oh, and you did another thing. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> so last week was my last day at Jusek and my first day at Sigate, part of Telia. So I've changed job. Um, and and it it feels absolutely amazing. I um, there there are like the most common question I've received is why did you leave? Because Trusec is is seen as the market leader or the world leaders in what they do. It's a fantastic brand. Uh, their work. It's it. There are some amazing people working there. Why would you leave? Um, but in the end, I wanted to focus on something that I've been wanting to focus on for a very long time that I started to tease way back in, in January. Um, so for Sigate, I will be working full-time as a digital workplace architect uh, and slowly but steadily moving away from technology towards a pure architectural role. But I will also be supporting both Sigate and Telia. And, and Telia, for you that doesn't know, is one of Europe's leading telcos. I would say it's the main telco for the Nordics and the Baltics and, and the technology that you can exchange between the Telia, the owner company of Sigate and, and Sigate is just remarkable so the ability to work with all of this amazing technology covering all aspects of that is is just mind-blowing and so far it's it's been four absolutely amazing days I'm, I'm very very happy to be part of the team and um We'll see where, where this takes me and um, where I'm able to help Saigit and, and Telia go. We'll hear more from Simon when he gets out of the honeymoon phase. <laughs> yeah, and, and like actually Monday I had a, a colleague reaching out and said, yeah, do you have time for for a meeting in, in, in the near future? Yeah, yeah my, my calendar's up to date. And like when you have someone that's been working Thursday, Friday, and then this was early Monday before lunch or so. You expect that person's calendar to be wide open. <laughs> I'm close to fully booked already um, because I'm still working with, with one of my customers half time and the rest of the time it will be spent on like pre-sale, part and development, a lot of talent management and competence development training and so on for the company uh, and a lot of other fun things that i i've really missed um so it will be great fun being back in the game with a lot of different technology partners a, a bigger company and uh, being able to provide that full workspace or workplace experience to to both internally and to customers interesting for sure and and i'm I'm for one is very excited to see where this journey will will take you going forward. And talking of journeys, I think we're at our journey's end today, or we were at our journey's end for a couple of minutes ago. But we'll we'll just go for it here. So thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you back in a week where we will be talking community. You you definitely do not want to miss that one. So thanks again. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. Knee Deep in Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson and Simon Binder. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at 
podcast at nitipentech.com.